Hey, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we discuss important topics through a biblical lens, and the hope is to encourage and equip you. Thank you for tuning in, whether you're audio or video. Remember, listen, you can go on YouTube, type in Ignite Global Ministries. There's a playlist there that says Conversations with Ben Dixon, Season 3. You can always go to Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify, and make sure to download, subscribe to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we are uploading new episodes all the time. If you forget all that, just go to www.conversationswithbendixon, where you can get all the updates that you need. Hey, listen, we have a very special guest today, Pastor Steve Schell. If you don't know who he is, I know many of you do, but let me go ahead and just tell you, Pastor Steve was the lead pastor of Northwest Church for almost 30 years alongside his wife, Mary. He's also the director and founder of Life Lessons Public publishing, author of many books, commentaries, and one of the greatest mentors of my life. And I'm so glad to have Pastor Steve on with me today. Pastor Steve, how are you doing? Uh, we're doing fine. Thank you, Ben, for having me on. This is a this is an honor and a privilege. I'm just delighted to see what you're doing. Um, Mary and I are here in Phoenix. We, uh, we moved uh, our son lived down here. Now our, our oldest daughter also and her family live down here. And um, we've been spending the last few years uh, remodeling an old 1964 one-owner house that had been abandoned. And uh, so it's been quite the project during COVID. Um, but we're pretty much in it. And um, and now we're trying to, I'm, I'm spending my time, Mary is part of this. Uh, with a group called Life Lessons Publishing. We formed a 501c3 and so that we could get uh, seed to the sower is our motto. And uh, the mm. idea of getting materials, resource materials to pastors, missionaries, but anyone who's willing to teach the Bible. Mm. Uh, anyone who wants that and says, I'd like to know what the Bible really says. Um, so we're taking the materials I preached all, all those years. I did, I did a verse-by-verse -verse commentary and I did a sermon outline usually, and we're putting those kinds of things into books uh, just with the idea of helping people, encouraging them to preach through books of the Bible. Also, we're working on uh, Foundations of Pentecostal Theology Translations. It's, uh, it's our Foursquare text, and uh, our committee, the Doctrine Committee that I was part of for um, 20 years, uh, we redid that, um, respecting Dr. Duffield and Dr. Van Cleve. We redid the book, and uh, then we're now translating it into it's in eight languages. Wow! Um, and uh, we're distributing that where we can, helping that get out, uh, so that pastors and missionaries and all over the world can 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 study, know what they believe, uh, and be Amen. be grounded, be well grounded. So that's that's what's been taking our time. Mary's our Mary's our financial officer, and I do editing, and I've got a couple of other team members on our staff, and uh, we have a good time. Hey, that's awesome. What, uh, how many comment, what commentaries do you have, and which one are you working on right now? Well, I have, um, the, the, I take them, and they, they, they go to, um, they go to, as a pair, is the idea. They're, uh, right now, we just, we've just finished John, mm -hmm. um, the Gospel of John, and uh, that's the verse-by-verse -verse commentary. I've got a verse-by-verse -verse commentary on Romans. I've got a verse-by-verse -verse commentary on Acts. And then John's sermons, 112 of them. Hmm. <laughs> it's just, who does that? Um, <laughs> you do, I, apparently. I, I, I <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. And, uh, and I did. I just, as I just, next topic, next topic, next topic. And we just, what does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? 
and we just walked our way through through John. Uh, actually, quite a few books, and so that's what I plan to do mm-hmm. till I till I can't. Um, but we've just finished the sermons for John. They're at the printer right now. We're just we're just trying to decide the cover. Um, and I'm working right now on the sermons for the Acts books. There's 96 sermons, I think, of Acts. And uh, again, just the hope that whether it's a home study, whether it's a pastor in a church or missionary somewhere, why don't you just take somebody through the book and let the Bible teach mm-hmm. us, let the Bible raise the subject. And I, not like mine are the best sermons in the world. I'm just trying to give some, look, I saw this, what do you see? With the mm-hmm. hope that people will let the Holy Spirit begin to touch their hearts with, with what they're reading in the Word and let it teach it, come alive again. I lived it, and it, there's a dynamic and a power and anointing that is simply uh, uh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful when it, when it's done that way. And the, the pastor or the teacher or the whoever it is learns the most. See, the lovely part is that the pastor, the teacher, is learning along with the congregation, mm-hmm. discovering all kinds of new stuff. So they're full of faith. They're, they're excited, they're fresh, they're seeing new things. They're not just sort of regurgitating something they got somewhere in school. Mm-hmm. They're getting new, new material all the time. I mean, you and I talked the other day, and you came out with something you learned from Mark, and I thought, that is good. I mean, I won't forget it. I never saw that. Mm. And it was, it was just, a, it was just, and you had taught through, and the Holy Spirit showed you that. I've never heard anybody say it. Wow. It was just really profound. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. And when people find that, they get excited, and you watch the energy come into the pastor or the teacher. Amen. Well, I know uh, what you're saying is so true simply because I have the privilege of following you as a pastor here at Northwest Church, and there's a deep and rich heritage here, and I'm trying to do a good job of following you in the Word. And I, I will not have a hundred uh, messages from the book of Mark, <laughs> but I think we're on 31 this week, just so you know, and we're Mark Come chapter on. 10, Mark chapter 10. So I think we're going to get there yes. by December. Uh, the end of November is when I'll be closing that. So um, I've gone through your your books. Many of our members at Northwest Church who know and love you, some who are new to the church, are going through those commentaries. So I just want to encourage everybody who's watching and listening today, whether you know Pastor Steve or not, and, and Mary, um, go to Life Lessons Publishing, I think it's .com, find them on the website, Pastor Steve Shell. Buy those commentaries um, or get them at Northwest Church. We will give them to you. But uh, they're, they're well worth the read, and you will learn and grow. So, Pastor Steve, thank you for all the hard work that you're doing in your refirement, not retirement. Nobody retires, amen? Uh, but in your refirement, you are giving us a lot of ammunition. That's what you're doing. And so we're thankful. Well, hey, today uh, I have Pastor Steve on because I want to talk about something that's re- really important and can often be confused, and that really is the topic of women in pastoral ministry, women as pastors. Um, this is something that is highly debated among various churches and denominations. We're a part of a movement of churches that accepts women as pastors, and so I want to say that up front. But the goal in this discussion, along with Pastor Steve, is to take a good look at what the Bible actually says concerning women being pastors, elders, preaching, teaching, and exercising spiritual authority in the church, so that we're doing what the Bible says. And when we encourage women as they grow in the Lord, we're saying to them what is true. And as we encourage and strengthen the church, we're allowing for and facilitating all the gifts and the anointings and the callings of God 
uh, for his glory and his great purposes. And so this is a very important conversation because half the body of Christ, roughly, are women. And so we want to know, what are we saying to them? What are we saying to, um, to, to the body of Christ? And what are we limiting? What are we restricting? What are we releasing? And so Pastor Steve was part of writing a book about women in ministry leadership, which is also excellent. He did the Bible study portion and the editing aspect of it, and I have read it more than once. Uh, actually just gave it to my 16-year-old daughter to read, and we're going to go through a lot of that stuff. But before we do, and Pastor Steve, before I ask you uh, just a boatload of questions, we j- open the Word together, I want to frame up for all that are listening and watching right now the primary views that that we have today theologically for women as pastors. And I'm going to use terms that not everybody uses, but just for the sake of those that are using these terms, what we have theologically is complementarianism and egalitarianism. And let me just define those for just a moment here. First, when you look at complementarianism, you're going to find that these churches, leaders, and theological perspective believes that women are ontologically equal, but functionally different, which we all sort of believe in a sense. This view precludes women, though, from specific roles within the church, placing them directly under male headship in all circumstances. Where women cannot be pastors or elders, they cannot teach men, uh, they cannot have any authority over men in any church context. This view can often struggle with where to draw the line. For example, some churches will allow women to lead women's ministries, of course, or be in the nursery and teach children um, so they can teach little men but not big men, that kind of a thing. So there's a sometimes there can be a blurry line I have found. I'm friends with people that have this view, of course, um, and my head's not in the sand. I've, I've been around. There's a, different versions of complementarianism, soft complementarianism, hardcore, just like there is in all kinds of theological uh, perspectives. Uh, but the passages that they bring up are going to be 1 Corinthians 14, which we'll talk about, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 3, Titus. Um, and really, obviously, they're going to throw a lot of things out there like Jesus never had any women apostles. You don't see the significance of women in leadership emerge in the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. And um, and so they're going to have this kind of rebuttal that's going to be the complementarianism at large. The second camp is going to be egalitarianism. Now, these are newer words uh, that aren't used by everyone, but this is just the framework here. And this theological camp believes that women have been given essential equality from the beginning and is being restored in Christ, identifying the fact that there have been highly suppressive cultures toward women and very restrictive um, in time and history. So they would say women can function in all roles of leadership according to their anointing, gifting character, and in the same way that men are qualified, so are women. And they also would see 1 Corinthians 11, 14, 1 Timothy 2, Titus as more contextual and tries and seek to understand the text through the concept of context, culture, and then command. What does that mean for us uh, today? Was Paul talking to someone then? Was he speaking to a situation then, trying to discover what that was and extrapolate the principle, which we will do today? This camp would also look at Genesis 2 as an, an essential equality, Acts 2, women can prophesy, Galatians 3.28, we're equal in Christ. But I would, I would add to that, of course, which we will uh, jump in on, is that egalitarianism also has a lot of different 
perspectives. And so what I would, I will let Pastor Steve speak for himself, but for me personally, and, and through what him and I have talked about, I don't represent all of egalitarianism. I don't know that I believe what everybody believes, I, I, uh, but I do have the perspective that women can function in all roles and capacities according to their anointing and gifting as God sees fit. That does not necessarily mean that I translate that to the family. That does not mean that I don't think there's any distinction between men and women. That does not mean that um, God hasn't given biblically assigned roles between men and women, all of that. So again, those two views, uh, they're, they're at odds, there's, they're opposites, and many in each of those camps would say, I believe the Bible says, as with other theological perspectives, there's a difference in how we see the Bible. So what I want to do is now really talk with uh, you, Pastor Steve, and ask you um, really some questions about the Scripture, because that's what dictates our attitude on this, our perspective, and, and our foundation for what we believe and teach and encourage. So the first thing I'd like to do is really just go back to the creation account and really ask you about whether it's Genesis 1 or 2 and just say, how are we to start? As we look at the Bible from the beginning and God made men and women, how are we to like look at this with knowing we're going to down through the corridor of time, going to talk more about women's roles in the church, how are we first to see the creation of men and women when God originally cre created us? How do you see that as we frame up this conversation? I think from, again, uh, let me just give my attitude a little bit so that you kind of know where I'm coming from. Um, I believe the Bible is the Word of God, every word of it. And when even we started out to do that book, um, I knew I had my opinions, but I thought to myself, I'm going to do this honestly and with integrity. And as we go through it, if indeed the Bible says women were not to minister, then I would have to believe that. Amen. I would have to stand for that, whether it was popular or not, and I would have. As I went through, I, was, I realized, oh my goodness, it does not forbid them. And, and I will tell you what the difference is for me. I, I was taught a, a particular style of theology. It's called biblical theology. It's where you, you actually research and let the Bible raise its own questions and answer them. You, 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 you do look at the context. You look at the history. What did it, what, what did it originally say to the original audience? Mm -hmm. What did they hear? Why did they say it? Who said it? You, so you look at that environment because until you know what the, what the original meaning was, you can't apply it to the culture today. Then you look for the eternal truth. What's the truth here? And then how does it apply to us now? And so that's the steps that we, I took all the way along. So when you come to things like uh, Genesis, I believe there was an Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. I believe that God cre actually created them. And, he, and then when you look at the language carefully, and by the way, Paul certainly believed the same things. When you watch the way he dealt with First uh, Timothy uh, chapter 2 there, when we, I think we'll get to somewhere, um, he's taking it very, very literally, mm -hmm. very literally. So did Jesus, by the way. Uh, he took things. Usually you're making your mistake because they're taking things. They're being much more literal than, than we would tend to be. So I, I believe that God made Adam. He said it's not good for him to be alone. And then he created Eve and, and made her a, a help meet fit for him. 
somebody so that the two were to, were to work together as a team. And then, honestly, we've, we've, we've missed this. The command there in Genesis 1, uh, he makes them both in, in his image, so both are fully spiritual. Um, in, there is no sign of inequality whatsoever. There is a sign of function, and there is a Adam came before Eve. When we get to some other thing, that may be come to play. Um, but there's no difference in standing. There's no difference in dignity. There's no difference in any of that. There is a difference in, 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 in function, uh, maybe even physically. And then he commanded them, be fruitful and multiply. Mm. And David picks that up in Psalm 8. And he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Then, he, then the next verse says, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Who's that? That's Satan, ultimately, through people, but it's Satan. So he says, he says to the Lord, he said, you commanded us to have children and to fill the earth with with obedient children. We were to be your deputies, your emissaries, and as it were, retake the planet. There, there, there is an unspoken thing, because Satan's already in the garden. How did he get there? There's a prehistory, and I, I mean, you can only, I'm not speculating, but there's something went on. Lucifer fell. Somehow we got this snake in the garden. Mm -hmm. how, how did he arrive in the garden? Uh, to work against God. You know, so David really picks up on this. And then he, then he goes right into it. He says, but you've made us a little lower than God, Elohim. And you've crowned us with glory and honor. And you've give, put all things under our, given us, uh, what is it, all authority in our hands. And you've given, put all things under our feet, all sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, etc. He goes down the things that Adam was to name. And that God even lists. And he says, you made us, you created us to be your deputies mm. and rule this earth. And we're to do it together. Mm -hmm. Men and women made to function as a team differently, it, it designed in certain ways, same dignity, but together making a beautiful uh, functioning team to fulfill God's plan. Mm -hmm. We're at war. The planet is at war. We entered a battlefield, not a park. And so he puts this together and he says, Adams, it's not good to be alone. I'm going to create a, a partner fit for you. He gives Eve, who's actually made from him in a sense. There's this, there's this deep or, organic thing. That's why he can say, and when Jesus will say, you know, when, you're, when you come together, you become one flesh and blood. You, be, you become family, it means. My wife is not genetically related to me, but she is as much my family as my children or my parents who are genetically, you follow? Mm -hmm. That's what one flesh thing means. She's my family. We're joined. You can't, it's something you can't undo mm. in that sense. That brings up all sorts of questions, but it's what, it is the way the Bible pictures it. So we, he made men and women to be a team that works together, and 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 uh, we're to we're actually to take dominion. We're to be using great uh, his his authority, and we're we're in a battlefield to see the kingdom of God brought around a, a troubled planet.
I'll stop. No, that's good. This is where we're going. Do you, Pastor Steve, how do you see when it comes to God creating us male, female, we're on the same team, there is distinction. Gender does matter clearly because there's difference and and yet we function together for the glory of God. From Genesis 3 and the fall of man, how do you, what do you think in terms of women's role and their functioning, especially as you look throughout the old covenant, and we could just say history uh, in addition to that, because the Old Testament is, is history. How do you see sin affecting women's role, or, or do you think of that when you look at the Old Testament and we see it through the Old Covenant? What, what, how do you see sin affecting women's ability to emerge and do as God has designed them to? First of all, that God did not curse Adam and Eve. He cursed the devil and he cursed the earth. Mm-hmm. He did not curse Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a nor did he um, nor did he sort of subordinate women uh, in some kind of way because of 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 the of the sin and all of that. That's you know the Bible actually says he says to Eve he says and and this is it's badly translated and it's done all the time. We say I'll I'll increase your pain in childbirth. Mm -hmm. The word isn't pain, and if you look at the King James, the King James won't even use the word. It's sorrow. And that's all it is. In fact, in the next verse, he said, we often translate it by the, boy, the toil of your brow. You know, you'll, you'll, he says to Adam, you're going to farm. The word is the same word. Same word. Why don't we say pain? Well, because we think women have painful childbirths. And, but it's the same word, by the, by the sorrow. You know, in sorrow, you'll toil in the earth. And in sorrow, you'll bear children. And she did, too. Her oldest killed the next one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, sin, had. God is announcing, you just let a monster in the door. Mm. You've let something in that's going to, mother, you, your children now are going to be full of this rebellion. And they, well, see, here's the real deal that happened, in my opinion. I, and I think they were clothed with the glory of God. And I think that's even why when the baptism of the Holy Spirit is spoken of, he says, you'll be clothed with power from on high. We are being reclothed, as it were. Mm. And that's why they knew they were naked. Have you, do you hear all kinds of jokes? I mean, how does, it, how does it happen that suddenly they knew they were naked? It's like, wow, look at that. You don't have any clothes on. You know, it's sort of silly and you can make jokes about it. I believe the Shekinah glory enveloped them. Mm. And I believe that when they sinned, and this is the real key, when they sinned, the Shekinah left. Mm. And now you are two naked people in your humanity with your own resources and not, because we're made, we're made to be in symbiotic relationship with God. We need the Holy Spirit in our counsel, in our strength, in our health. Every part of us needs to be in the Spirit of the Lord with Him. And once that's cut, we begin to die. Our thinking is wrong. Our, our, our flesh takes over. We're broken. We're wounded. You know, some people say, well, you need a crutch. No, I don't. I need a stretcher. I, I need a wheelchair, man. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not designed to run alone, and neither are you. And mm-hmm. usually the people who say that, by the way, that you need a crutch are sitting there with a bottle of beer or something, staying buzzed or, or stoned. Mm-hmm. 
we all have to have something. We're not designed to function alone. We're designed to have the Holy Spirit. So Adam and Eve were clothed with the glory of God. And then that lifts. And everything ruins. Now, yes, their relationship sours. Their children sour. Did one kid kills the next? And then and off it goes to Seth. And then down the line, and you begin to look at their children their children, you know, their future generations, and you have Nimrod rising up not very long, an early form of Antichrist. I mean, sin just came in and just, you know, the glory was gone, the devil was there, and it just ruined everything. Mm -hmm. So he says to her, boy, in sorrow you will, you will conceive children. Mm -hmm. In sorrow you give birth. Why do you Pardon feel me. like, what, really no, this is really heartbreaking. No, it is, and I'm kind of in awe of some of the things you just said, which this, uh, so I'm, I'm going to have to take a step back and think about some of that. That was powerful. <laughs> you need to record some of that stuff. My goodness. Um, I've never heard that before, actually, about them being clothed with the glory of God, but it makes the most sense, actually, now to understand. And it's where we end up in the end. Yeah. I, back in, I see you, it. you see us in the kingdom of God. There's no sun or moon. Why? We're living in the unrestrained Shekinah glory of God. The fire. It's the mm. fire. We're living in it. Mm -hmm. We're going back to it. We started in it. We've lost it. Now in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we get some of it back. We get. We mm -hmm. comes again and fills us. And then in the end, we're surrounded again, living where we belong. We always come back to his original design. Wow. Um, in this conversation about the whole women in leadership and pastoral ministry, sometimes people are asking the question when they look throughout the Old Testament of why it is that women don't take on uh, many, not any, but many roles. We have some. Uh, we have Deborah. Uh, we have a few others. We have Miriam. We have a few but why do we not have very many? And that usually is kind of a pretext or it's part of the foundation for the theological framework of complementarianism, eventually that women don't have roles pastorally, elder-wise, or any, anything else in the church to have authority over men. And the Old Covenant, Old Testament is, is proof to some people. So my question to you is why do you feel like we don't have many women um, throughout that period of history, who are taking those roles or those places? Well, one is you, you are not looking at an ideal world. You are now looking at a world in which men are fallen and women are fallen. Mm -hmm. They're selfish, they're, and so you begin to have bullying. Uh, you begin to have the whole thing. You have kingdoms form, and brutal, brutal things going on, and, and women are, are physically weaker on average than men, and so they get bullied down. Mm. Part of that. The thing that's significant in the Old Testament is that when women were recognized, whether it be Miriam, or as you've, you've mentioned, you know, Isaiah mentions his own wife as a, as a prophetess, you have Deborah, um, there's, there's, there's others, and never is, there a dis, never is there a disapproving word in Scripture. Mm -hmm. Like Deborah will say, hey, I... I was the mother of Israel, mm -hmm. and I and I and I led her to freedom. And there's not a trace in there of any disapproval at all. Mm. So, it, it, you 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 don't have God saying I don't like it. 
you just have a, a, a society in which men, by and large, and it's a pretty brutal environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are you are having to. I mean, you look at their. You look at where they lived. They'd always be up on a on a on a high place. They'd have walls all around them because people are roving through and attacking. So it's a vicious environment. It's a it's a there's a savagery to life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not safe. So you have you have families living together, and you do have you have the husband and the father leading. Do I think that Adam? had a role of leading uh, in his family. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think, now that would take us to 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul makes this point about, he says, uh, you know, that Adam was, was, the head, was the head, and he makes, he says, as, as Christ is Adam's head, and Christ, Adam's uh, the, the woman's head, and the father is Christ's head. And you, I, I do that in the book, I discuss it, but I think the, 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 by far the best description is Paul gives it himself. The word head means source. Mm-hmm. And so what you have, you have there is that um, Adam is Eve's source, even as the father is the son's source. Um, I'll, I'll just stop and say this right now. There's no question that the Bible says the father begot his son, mm-hmm. and, be, and and I'm hearing, and even in a lot of the modern translations now, when you look at things like only begotten son, you look at that phrase, they will now say one and only. And they'll say, oh, well, that's what it means. That is absolutely false. Mm. It does not mean that by any stretch of the imagination. Go to your, any one of your books, like <laughs> turn this camera and show you Arkin Greek, for example. It, always, it means the, the Greek word genao, and the same thing true for the Hebrew, means to beget, to give birth. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, and I, I'm not implying anything physical, but in a sense, God the Father reproduced himself mm. in Jesus. And you have in the, in the, the relationship of the Father and Son, I believe, an eternal submission. Mm-hmm. The son is submitted to the father. Never is there a clue or a hint at all that Jesus intends to by the time, boy, when I get back to heaven, I'm getting rid of this submitting to the father stuff. There's none of that at all. Mm-hmm. In, in, in every case, he says, I'm going back to my God and your God, my father and your father. I mean, he just hammers it. Never does he usurp the father. He honors him. And because of his pure submission and heart, the Father says, I'm commanding all creation, so you submit to my Son. And I'm going to see to it that you, ultimately you will bow your knee to him. You will bow your knee to him. And then, then Paul says, in Corinthians 15, he says at the very end, the, the Son will offer this submitted universe back up to his Father as his great gift. So there's a day when we're going to get handed, as it were, to the Father, mm. uh, because this is what he desired, children. And so the son will say, here are the children that you longed for. Mm-hmm. It's just gorgeous to see this relationship. All to say, submission in a healthy sense is an honoring of source, honoring of roles, not an admission of inequality, because the son is not in any form unequal to the father. Mm-hmm. He's, as, he's as fully God as my child is, is fully human. I'm... I, I bore, we had, we had three children. They are all as human as I. There's no difference 
whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But I'm their father. And Mary's their mother. And they show us respect and kindness. There's a, there's a, a relationship there. That's not an ugly thing. It does, they're not saying, I'm, it's because I'm unequal. It's because I'm foolish. It's because I, it's not that at all. Mm-hmm. It's an honoring of source. That is what, in Corinthians 11, Paul goes right down the line. He says, the son honors the father, the father, <laughs> Adam honors the, his source, and woman is from man. She comes from him. And so mm-hmm. there is to be a role of respect and, and, and allowing for uh, properly done healthy leadership. Mm-hmm. Now, that gets real pastoral. I pastored for 46 years. I am completely aware of what abusive leadership does and what abusive males do. I am not, I, I grew up with a single mom. I am not trying to argue for any kind of unpleasantness, just to say that, like, as a father in my home, I know that I have a role uh, to be the pastor of my home. Mm-hmm. And I'm to treat my wife as Christ treats the church, which means delight in her gifts, delight in her capacities, encourage them, provide for them where I can, and love her. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, but I have a role to pray, to seek the mind of the Lord. There is a mantle on my shoulders, a responsibility to be first on my knees, to be first in those kinds of things as the husband of my home. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that goes, I do think it goes right even back to the very nature of creation. I think there was a relo- relationship. I think there are roles in 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 the in the in a, in a the, the nuclear family. And I, I'll stop. I know I'm rolling. No, no, it's good. I. I agree. I think sometimes what we have in in the egalitarian camp, people that believe women can be pastors, leaders, elders, and take on any form of responsibility as they're anointed um, and qualified, I think within that camp, sometimes they do uh, carry that into the family as well, because they see there shouldn't be a distinction. If the family is a reflection of the church and the church is a reflection of the family, then both must be the same. But what you're doing is actually you're bringing up the fact that there is a tension um, that needs to have no tension at all. Submission's not an ugly thing. But for some reason, whether it's culturally or otherwise, probably how it's been taught, uh, there has been male abuse and abuse of all kinds, and the fact that we have a spider web of sin, what we tend to do is take this concept of submission and look at it negatively, rather than if you see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, you see them have essentially quality, but they have purposely and clearly we see biblically, I don't know how to understand all this, but but just from what we're talking about, you see that they have placed themselves under authority within their respective roles that hasn't lo- and they haven't lost equality. And so in the same way, we also see that with men and with women, and there is a role for men. And I agree with you. I think within the family structure, um, there's certain types of teaching in egalitarianism I don't agree with. I do think men have been given biblically assigned roles to lead their families, not in a domineering way. I don't know if you thought about this, Pastor Steve, but in Ephesians 5, I was reading a book not that long ago, and the person writing the book said, it's interesting to note that there are three commands or exhortations from Paul in Ephesians 5 toward the women. One of them is to respect their husbands. Another one is to, uh, is to be submissive. Um, and I've, anyways, I don't remember the other one. I think it's probably similar. But there's six 
uh, toward the men. <laughs> so there's three towards the women and there's six towards the men. If that doesn't say something, I don't know what does, right? And then what, what you see is Paul at the end of Ephesians 5 says, and this mystery that he's speaking about between the husband and wife is like Christ and the church. But again, Christ is subject to his Father. And so there is submission even implicit within Christ and the church and Christ and the Father being above him or over him. And so I just don't, I agree in that sense that submission's not an ugly word and it's not an ugly thing, just like power in and of itself, uh, which isn't necessarily part of this conversation, but power in and of itself is not bad. It's corrupted power. You know, authority maybe is the better word. Spiritual authority is meant to serve, love, bless, strengthen, facilitate. But the authority that Jesus rebuked the disciples for seeking was that to domineer and dominate, which is the abusive side of it. And so it's pretty interesting um, to me as we kind of dive in to all this. And, uh, and there is already a distinction that we're talking about is that, yes, women can minister, women can have roles, gifting, skill, ability, but that doesn't mean that there isn't biblically assigned roles within the family for husbands and wives and for men and women. So I actually appreciate the fact that you're bringing this up in the way that you are, uh, because it is something that's kind of lost in this, even this greater uh, conversation, I think, in my opinion. I think it's the underlying uh, worry in many hearts is, so is there no roles? You know, as, as a husband, right now, our society has sort of decided that, well, men have acted badly, um, some, many, and so our solution is to completely, as it were, defang the tiger. We're, we're just going to, we want to reduce them to, to passivity, mm. and they have no authority, they have no right, everybody's the same, and and so we're stripping something, we're, and it, the Bible, look, you, you can't read Ephesians 5, you can't read a, a, a Corinthians 11, and, and not realize there is a rules. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, you can say, well, I don't see it. Well, it, whatever. Uh, it's there, and if you do your homework and you know your language and you look at it, it does say that. So mm -hmm. if you just, again, there, there's, a, there's a reality to, to just how you do it. But again, is it misused? By, by many, it is misused. Mm -hmm. The solution isn't to throw it all out. The solution is to start training young men and young women in and how to how to how to help for, for young men. How do you live as a as a husband and a father kindly and with you know as it were prayerfully covering your family and and encouraging them and not making your children angry. Paul will talk about that one place. And and, and not and and, and uh, realizing that your wife is 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 a is fully anointed and gifted and capable, has been called and is as called as you are. And and and, and your your role is how do you lift her up and help her do what she's called to do? Mm -hmm. To take an, a, a healthy approach to build up what should be, rather than putting these, you know, kind of the, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, just saying, no, everybody's the same, you just all vote, you know, uh, as, as a, and what that is, is a fallback position. Mm. It's, it's safety. You don't have any power. You don't have any power. So you can't do it. And the result is you, you're ending up stripping men of their mm. calling mm -hmm. to care for their family. And I'm going to tell you what men do. Men abandon. 
You can see it all over the planet. Mm -hmm. You cannot simply beat them down and disrespect them. And then, and then say, uh, but, but we need you to be good men. They abandon. And that's why you, we make fun of people where they're all sitting on some row and, you know, nobody's doing anything. There's just a, there's just a broken heart there. Men have to be coached and encouraged mm. uh, to be godly men and to rise up. And there's a dignity to it, and they need to be shown that dignity. Mm. What I've found is when I have strong men, they are thrilled to have women rise up. Amen. They're not threatened, but you have weak men, insecure men, and they're very threatened by women. Mm -hmm. And so it, 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 they fall back into this thing of, I don't want women, you know, uh, because they're, they, they, have, they have no sense of their own calling, no sense of their own ministry, no sense of anointing, so they're just thrashing. The solutions build them up. The, in my opinion, as a pastor for all, a lot of years, the best way I could free women was by build up men. Mm. Because I wanted the women free. I, I mean, I have no, this, this is not an issue for me. I, I want them doing whatever they're called to do. And I'm delighted when they do it. But, but if I give my attention, and like I always, always go to the men's retreat, I would always be there and, and, and talk to them. And I often would talk about being a man and, and how God made you that way. That we, we laugh at competitiveness and we laugh at those things. God put those qualities in you. That's right. But he put them in for his purposes. Mm -hmm. Now, they get misused, but they put them in for his purposes. And you have a role. And I realize that the more I, that mantle of dignity and responsibility falls on that man, the more he stands up straight and begins to really love his family. Amen. And that's what's, that's what's breaking us down right now. You have fatherless homes everywhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people say to me, my dad left when I was two. Mine left when my, my parents left when I, was, when I was actually 18 months. I never had a father. I didn't know he was alive till I was 55 years old. Mm. So, I mean, my mom was my, I gave her a Father's Day card <laughs> one Father's Day. Yeah. I didn't have, I was it. And, it, and I, so I totally respect her as, my, as, my, as the head of my home and everything else. I, she was a good father in that sense. I mean, she did the best she could. So I'm not poking at anybody. Mm -hmm. Just to say, but to say, our role really, we need to be helping men rise up and be who they're called to be. Amen. And that will free women to rise up and be who they're called to be. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Well, I want to put some weight on this conversation entirely by just directing it towards the new covenant. Obviously, um, if we're, you know, talking to people, let's just say everybody's all over the board here. Some people think women can have any role in the church. Some don't. But where do we go from here? How do we help people biblically frame this up to show them why you, why I believe that women can hold these roles, have this anointing, and believe this? I think there's a lot to be said for the weight of the new covenant. Let's just go there for a little bit. Talk to me about how the new covenant really does release women. I mean, just fundamentally, biblically, we see it in the Bible, and it seems very clear. I, I, I wrote, and I'm not trying to hawk, hawk something. I mean, I'll, I'll give you books, by the way, as many as you want. Nobody has to. Well, they're online for free. I don't know I if wrote this thing one, the, the Women in Ministry Leadership one's online for free. Anyways, I can put that this link up later. This is Promise of the Father. <laughs> what, 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 what Ben is referring to 
and I don't think we've seen this uh, clearly. We've got to get a hold of this. In fact, the modern church has to get a hold of this. Jesus kept saying, "I'm what I've, I'm bringing something that's never been there before." You know, there's a new covenant coming. He, he holds the, up the cup. He says, "This is the cup in my blood. You're going to get the new covenant because of my blood." And he says, "You're going to, you're going to." Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And he goes on and on about, you, there's something new coming. He says, John the Baptist was the greatest, greatest prophet of, uh, among men of history. Nobody like him. But he said, the least. Who's got, who's got this? Who's in the new kingdom? He's greater than John the Baptist. He just keeps something brand new is coming. Jesus did not just sort of take it one more notch. He made something possible that was never possible before. Mm. And that's the new covenant. That's, so when we talk about if pastors and ministers of any kind, if we Christians, if we just get a hold of this, when you minister to somebody else, if you know where you're going, you'll see real change. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you won't. So Paul, uh, Jesus is saying, here comes the new covenant. And he even says to the to the disciples in, in Acts 1 there, he says, now, you go wait in the city. I don't want you to leave. Don't go anywhere. You wait in the city until you be endued with power from on high. Be clothed, literally, until you be clothed with power from on high. And so they go, they go wait in the city, and then Acts chapter 2 happens. And what happens? The, the uh, Holy Spirit comes down upon them, in, in, in enormous power. I won't, won't describe the beautiful moment, but they hear a sound come and it surrounds them. And, and it's, it's just this amazing moment. And then, uh, and then over their heads, and, and over your head right now is a beautiful light bulb. And there it is. is, there it is. Yeah. And over each one of their heads, it says, it says, they heard this sound and it came toward them like a rushing wind. And it f comes into the room. If you look at the words, Luke is very vivid when he writes. He's, he was a doctor, you know. He's, his vocabulary is enormous. Um, if you thought you knew Greek vocabulary, but once you read Luke, you're looking up words one after another. But he fills in this, and they're all full of prepositions. So he describes where it is. It's above, it's below, it's in, it's out, it's over. All of this stuff is in his language. And he says it comes, he gets sweeping in the room, surrounded them, this sound. He doesn't tell us what the sound is. And then he said this brilliant fire comes in this room. This, well, this kind of fire, the glory of God, comes in. And it divides itself into pieces and goes over each head. And when it did, it's, he literally said it sat on each head. So it, it rests men and women and children. That's why P Peter will mention children very sure. Everybody's in the room. Here comes the Spirit, and and as it does, they begin to come out and pre pre pray in other languages, pray in, in, in tongues. For any is any Jew, a pillar of fire over something reminds us of the pillar of fire over the tabernacle, which meant this is where the presence of God is dwelling among us. And so the Lord comes into the room and says, now, now my dwelling place is in you, and you, and you, literally declaring us temples of God. Mm. The Holy Spirit came not just upon, he came in. 
rivers of living water out of your innermost being. It literally says out of your bowels. This is why people in the King James, it, King James says out of your bowels, and people go, oh, isn't that silly? It actually says bowels, koilia, like the coils of a rope, just like your bowels. That's the Greek word. And so King James just takes it literally. It says, out of here will flow rivers of living water. In other words, God is going to come and live in us. Mm. That couldn't happen until Jesus died on the cross. Paul tells us why in Romans 8, verse 4. He's, he, he's, he literally says, he says, what, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, change our hearts. See, we still had cold, stony hearts. No matter, I, I could know what was right. I could try to do what's right, but my heart's still cold and, 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 and stony. No, no, nobody can change the human heart but God. And going clear back to Deuteronomy 30, Moses said the day will come when God is mm. going to give you a new heart. That's Deuteronomy 30. This isn't some new concept. Jesus isn't co concocting an idea. He's saying what Moses said, what Jeremiah said, what Ezekiel said, what Zacharias, anyway, I'm bringing it. And then he, Paul says, but the law could not do because it was through the flesh. God did, changing the heart. To, um, God did, oh, bother, excuse me. I'm, I, I just, I'm going to finish by reading it. Uh, by sending his, pardon me, he's sending his own son in the likeness of, and listen to the next word, sinful flesh. Mm. Jesus did not just, he didn't say he came in the likeness of human flesh. Paul says Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, he took on a body just like ours. Right. The same temptations, the same nonsense, the weariness, the the whole thing. He got one of ours. Why? And then he says why. And as an offering for sin. Um, the, the, the Greek preposition there is peri, or, it, on behalf of. As an offering for sin, he condemned or judged sin in the flesh. Jesus on the cross did not simply atone for our spiritual sin. He also took on a body like ours and took the punishment because of the wickedness that our bodies have participated in. Mm -hmm. And he atoned for our bodies. Now, the full expression of that will be the resurrection. He, not, he died for my spirit, and he died for my body. Mm. So, and Paul says, next thing, so that the requirement of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and your, and your neighbor's yourself. So the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to or following after the spirit who's in us. Mm -hmm. Paul says Jesus died in a sinful body so that the spirit of God could live inside you. And then he goes on, and I won't read you the whole chapter, but he, he says, you know, Christ is in you. And he, the whole thing, he comes inside us. This is the new covenant. God says, Ezekiel 36 is the most beautiful. He says, Ezekiel says, I'll wash you with clean water. I will take out the heart of stone, and I'll put in a heart of flesh. I will change you. Mm-hmm. 
you, the selfish, rebellious, mean-spirited, frightened, angry, bitter person, I'm taking that sucker out and I'm putting in a new heart. And only God can do that. I'm going to put it in you. And then he says, and then I will put my spirit within you. Mm-hmm. And in the Hebrew, the word within, we just think of it as kind of a, 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 a preposition or a description, is, is, is gerev. And it means inside your body cavity, in your guts. That's where Jesus gets it. He's literally, para, he's really retelling Ezekiel 36. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel says, he'll come and he'll live within you. So then what is the new covenant? The new covenant is that God has taken and cleansed our bodies so that we now become living temples of the presence of God who does not leave us when we sin, for we have been atoned through Christ. Mm-hmm. It's, it's big, men and women. We are now carriers of, of, of the Lord's presence, full of the Holy Spirit, and capable of the giver of all gifts dwells within us. So now, now you begin to talk about ministry pet potential. Everything's changed. Jesus says, okay, here's the way I function. I only do what I see the Father do. I speak what I hear him speak. I move by word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophetic word, all. I move that, so will you. Only you'll follow me. Mm-hmm. I'm the head, you're the body. Here we go. And when I tell you to say something, you say it. When I tell you to do something, you do it. You follow me, and you listen to me, you open your ear to me. And I'm, we're going to walk together through life, and I'm going to use you powerfully. Mm. And, I, and you have within you now, the, the, this, actually the same Holy Spirit that Jesus operated from as a man among us. Mm-hmm. Jesus never, I've heard people say he, he ceased to be God. That's absolutely blasphemous. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. A spirit can't cease to exist. He came as, spiritually from heaven. But he was joined to our human flesh, and he has become a man now, body, soul, and spirit, even as you and I. I mean, he's, 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 he's as really human as we are, but his spirit is immortal. Mine, or, or eternal, mine is immortal, I won't die. His is from forever. Mm. So it's a whole, he's a whole different thing, but he, he now modeled by the power of the Holy Spirit what a man could do. He followed the Father. I, I grant you, there was moments of authority where he exercised things like, you know, just stilling the thing or forgiving sin, where I think the second person of the Trinity showed through mm-hmm. um, because he didn't cease to be who he was. Mm-hmm. But he was, when he prayed for the sick or cast out a devil or all those kinds of things, that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And he says, now you're going to do it. As the Father sent me, so send I you. Here we go. So his ministry was to be continued through us. Men and women, completely irrespective. There is no difference. He will lead each of us as he wills. So when we read Acts chapter 2, is it fair to say, you know, Peter says here, Acts 2, Holy Spirit has been poured out. He explains what happens. Some are mocking. And he simply says... Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Verse 14, give heed to my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days. God says, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. My understanding of that means Jew and Gentile, not just Jew. And your son. 
uh, your sons and your daughters, so young and old, um, your sons and your daughters, men and women shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. Even among bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And he, he goes on uh, from there. But would it be fair to say that when we think of women in leadership, women being anointed of God to be used by him, we sometimes overlook how serious that men and women in that particular passage really is. It's, it's, as, it's similar when he says all mankind, which would be Jew and Gentile, young and old, men and women. It seems to me if we're going to frame up a conversation about men and women being used by God today, that it has to start, at least in the New Covenant, it has to start right here to see the weight of what a comment like that actually means, that women will be endued with power from on high and dwelt with by the Holy Spirit, capacitated for His purposes in these last days. It has to start here, and people seemingly overlook how powerful that prophecy and the fulfillment thereof really is. And when I read the book of Acts and Paul's letters, his 13 letters, it seems to me that there's this revolution, even in a highly suppressive culture toward women, that women are being named, whether they're by their husband or not. Women are assisting planting churches like Lydia and Philippi. Women are in the back of Romans chapter 16. It seems like there's a couple of them in the whole list, and their names are being mentioned, whereas before it seems like that isn't something you're going to see a lot of in that highly suppressive culture. And here it is, it begins with this explosion of the new covenant and that God, for His glory and His purposes, with His message and His mission, are saying men and women alongside each other will be used of God uh, to bring forth His purposes in these last days. Do you think we overlook the weight of that as it pertains to women in specific? Or it can I, be. I think this is a key. This, no, this is a key. This is an actual. Uh, this is a key point in 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 biblical history. Peter is standing up in front of everybody, and they're saying, "Why did this happen? What's going on?" Mm -hmm. And he says, "What's going on is the last days hmm. have arrived. Today is the first day of the last days." That's what he just said. And he says, this is that which the prophet Joel has spoken. Now, Joel, that if you follow through that whole prophecy, and the reason he talks about sun and moon and darkness, I mean, Joel is saying, before the coming of the, of the day of the Lord, there will be a great, and that's Ezekiel 36 as well, there'll be this great outpouring of the Spirit, and he will, cover, he will, he will be doing all of these things, and then there will be the, the great uh, war, Armageddon. And so that's why the next thing follows. But, but Peter quotes the next thing because he wants to get to the point where it says, and that those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Mm -hmm. And that's his evangelistic point. It, Joel says, in the last days, my spirit will be poured out on all flesh, irrespective of age or gender, and they will all prophesy, which is just the full-on spirit of the Lord, boom, speaking through you. Peter stands up, the Apostle Peter, and he says, it starts today. Mm -hmm. The change has come. 
And he says, and it's for you and your children. Notice, you and your children. And for all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God, shall call to himself. Amen. It's for everybody till he comes back. Everybody. Now, if you were to say, if Paul came along and said, ah, I don't believe that. Uh, women, back in the box. Uh, you can't speak anything. You can't talk. I don't care what Peter said. I don't care what Joel said. Mm-hmm. Paul would be wrong. He didn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He Paul then picks it up in Galatians, and and Paul says, "Look, in when you're joined to Christ, mm-hmm. and he, again he's right back to this new covenant thing. When you're joined to Christ, you inherit with Him everything that's His." Right. It's just like in a marriage, you know, it's suddenly it's mutual property. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to you the moment you're joined to him. And he says, there is no distinction. And he picks out the ones that the legalists from Jerusalem were coming up and attacking his churches. Mm-hmm. And they were going after Galatia particularly. You could walk to Galatia. <laughs> and they were, I, I discussed in that article you mentioned why they were up there and why they were, but I won't, I won't bother with that now. But, but he picks up, and, he, and, and so they're going after this thing where they're trying to get people to uh, let go of, of, of what Paul's talked about in, in the gospel. And, they, and he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Your religious background makes no difference. There is neither slave nor free. So the sociological standing, whether you, whether you, are, the, whether you are living in and this, this environment of slavery, which was prevalent in the Roman Empire, um, or whether you're uh, you're free, all when you when you walk into church, that goes away. When you come into Christ, that goes away. He doesn't see those things at all, and we shouldn't either. Is his point? And then he goes on, and neither there is neither male nor female. And then he says, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he's not just talking about being saved. And he says, you are all sons Mm -hmm. of God. And I've heard people go, well, is that, shouldn't it be daughters of God? No, 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 it should not. In that culture, the son had a different standing. There was a dependency of the daughter. That's right. And so he's saying of the men and women, you both, whether you're male or female, you stand before God as a son, as it were. In other words, there is no diminished position of any kind. Mm-hmm. Women and men stand before God equally. Right. Yeah, Pastor Steve, thank you for sharing uh, your heart on that. We're looking at the New Covenant, Acts chapter 2, Galatians chapter 3, and something that we're going to have to do, but we're going to do it on the next episode, is walk through what some call the problem passages as it relates to women pastors, which is 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2, uh, 1 Timothy 3, and also Titus when you talk about the qualifications of elders. And then we want to answer some of those practical questions that have come in from some from people that know that we're doing these episodes about women in ministry, women pastors. We're going to save all of that, though, for another episode. And so here's what I want to do to those of you that are is our listening audience, our watching audience. I want to make sure that if you have questions, you let us know about those things. It's very important that we not only answer 
whatever question we might have about the passages in Paul's letters, but also that we frame it up properly. And as you can see, this is a massive topic. This is a very serious topic. And so as we look at it, we want to look at it thoroughly and completely as much as possible. And so I want to encourage you to not only watch and listen to this episode, maybe again, share it with others, but also come back and make sure you get part two with me and Pastor Steve as we walk through Paul's letters and all the questions that you may have. So God bless you. Thank you for tuning in for Conversations with Ben Dixon, and we will see you next time as we continue the conversation about women in pastoral ministry. God bless you.